Anyway, thank you guys. A little music there. We are um, going to be in Second Peter tonight, and uh, we might be picking it up at verse one, kind of where we left off last week, and move into verse two this week. And uh, who knows where we'll get from there. But um, we are definitely moving into uh, what I would call the sufficiency of Christ. And His sufficiency is absolutely 100% complete. He is sufficient in everything. And when you really think about that, when you think that we have the resources because we are in Christ, it uh, absolutely will be astounding to think of. Many years ago, there was a Crowfoot. He was a chief of the Blackfoot. And uh, he was in southern Canada. And there was a Canadian railroad going across there. And, of course, they had it built. And they gave... uh, the Indians there gave them permission to cross the, this Blackfoot land. And um, so they gave him quite a deal. They gave him a lifetime ticket to ride on that railroad any time that he wanted. So that was a pretty good pass to ride on that railway. And, of course, it's going to be a little bit quicker than, uh, than the horse. So he put it in a leather case, and he wore it around his neck for the rest of his life. He wore that there. There is no evidence that he ever got on that train and traveled across Canada. But he had that ticket, you know, and so you have to kind of chuckle about it a little bit because he never did really use the pass. He just he just had it there. And I think uh, often we Christians are just like him in not availing ourselves to the unlimited promises that God has given to us. And we don't use that uh, much. And so they... Uh, sometimes we kind of put uh, his promises kind of in a plaque, kind of put them on a wall or whatever, and really practically never use those promises that God has given us for our daily lives, right here and right now. Uh, so in our text, Peter is warning us to know that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through knowing Christ. Trusting in all of those sufficient promises that He's given. I mean, and it is immense what He has given us. So, quite an upbeat section as Peter starts off this um, second epistle of his. And, it's, like I say, it's quite mind-blowing when you think about what God has done for us and His sufficiency is just unbelievable. Let's uh, have prayer. Father, We thank You. You are the Lord, the God who gives everything to His own. And to realize that is immense and our minds cannot wrap really around that thought completely, but Peter reminds us of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And in Your Word, You've given us these promises, these truths, and how much we want to embrace them into our the very fabric of our lives. And Lord, help us to understand You a little bit more tonight so that we would grow in Your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for Your Holy Spirit to guide us into Your truth. 
in your son's name. Amen. Well, last week we um, left off at verse 1. Right at the last, we were talking about the righteousness. We were talking about justification. So we got into uh, that grand doctrine of justification by faith. Imputed righteousness, right? Is what we were talking about. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us as He took our sin. And so, uh, as we think about the end of verse 1, as He talks about righteousness, He explains where it comes from. It's of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's kind of something interesting about that because there's a really... A, a Granville Sharp rule. By the way, I'm going old school here. We're not using PowerPoint. We're not using that above, you know, on the screen. This is the real thing. Except, I said last week, I don't have the chalk, you know, to have the real effect. But you have this little squeak or something. But um, it's it's worded in in my text here is our God and Savior. And uh, then my my text uh, will then have a comma, Jesus Christ. Probably most of yours are very similar. And what's important about that is it's basic, but it's very important because what he's talking about there in this Granville Sharp rule, that's that's in the original language rule. And it always means this. There's no if ands, or buts, or anything. It just, don't you like something whenever it's solid, black, and white? That's the way it is. It's, it's either this, it's yes or no, you know. Or when this is set up this way in the Greek text, he is talking about Jesus Christ here. Not necessarily talking about the Father. We know he's God. But what he's putting forth is that he is God and he is Savior. It's operating around who that is, and it's namely Jesus Christ. He is God and Savior. So he's not only Savior, we'd say, yeah, Jesus Christ is Savior, but then he's talking about our God, God the Father. Um, And I don't have to spend much time with you guys talking about the deity of Christ. Deity of Christ means Jesus is God, right? But I would like to touch on a couple of verses just to kind of hit on that, because it is important because the text is dealing with Peter basically is explaining be careful about false teachings out there. And so therefore, one of the things that false teachings are going to attack, especially the cults, is the deity of Christ. And of course, Gnosticism and and a lot of the other false teachings come out and they would start diminishing the value of Christ. He's God's Son, but He's not really... God, right? Um, and we know full well that's that's a, a belief that is a must. Uh, show me a Christian, quote Christian, who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ, and I'll show you a non-Christian. You have to believe in the deity of Christ. There's no ifs, ands, or buts there. That's just the way it is. Let's go to Romans chapter nine, verse five. I just want to take a, a few texts just to, just to hit on that, even though it is a basic. Uh, we, we know, we believe in that. It's, uh, it's the heart of uh, the truth, who Christ is. But in uh, Romans 9, 5, it says, um, 
whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever Amen the, the Christ according to the flesh who is over all He's over all things um, Colossians 2.9 we get even more demonstrative here and it says, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This One who came to earth in this body. All the fullness of deity is in Him. Boy, that, that is uh, ever a deity passage, isn't it? Um, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, after the Timothys comes the Titus, right? 2.13 looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our here we go here's this Granville Sharp rule again our great God and Savior Christ Jesus so there again it's the same rule in showing that Jesus Christ is God He is Savior it's not talking about two, uh, two persons of the Trinity there he's magnifying Christ there the, at that time what's that? The Granville, G-R-A-N-V-I-L-L-E, Sharp, S-H-A-R-P-E. That, that's, uh, it was named after a man who, who, you know, as far as language is concerned. Uh, and in the Greek, um, you know, English, you're not always going to run that way. But in the Greek, it means one and only one. You, you can't say that it's talking about two separate people here. No, it's talking about one, namely Christ and who He is, God. Savior. Yeah, in in everything, whether it be talking about Jesus or anything. Yeah, that's I mean that's the rule uh, they have that applied. That's just the way that language is. Yeah. Um, how about Hebrews one eight? There are many many verses. I mean we could spend the rest of the night here, and we're not going to do that. But uh, this this is these are some that if you forgot. It's, ah, had Jehovah's Witness come to the door the other night and and I had an opportunity to share who Christ was that He is God and I couldn't remember some of these verses. So it's always good to have reminders, isn't it? Hebrews uh, 1.8 But of the Son, obviously, who's the Son? Christ, right? He says, and here's God. Now this is God speaking. This is a quote out of the Old Testament. God speaking. He says, Your throne, O God. Who's He speaking of? of the Son. He's speaking about the Son, to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. Then he says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. There's Messiah, anointed, Mashiach, with the oil of gladness above your companions. And then he he says, Lord, and you, Lord, verse 10, and that's capital letters in the L-O-R-D, right? And what does that mean? When you see the four caps, especially in the Old Testament, Lord is who? Yahweh. Which is, that's God. He is God. Yeah, but matter of fact, every word in these verses here from verse 8 through 12 are in capital letters. Huh? No? It, it doesn't have to be, I think, because it just took out of some different text. Um, but... And, and, of course, this is now put in the Greek. It's taken out of the Hebrew. But he says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. There's God, the Father, speaking to the Son. And what did the Son do? He created. Who can only create? Who's the only cre- God is. 
And he says, you in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. The whole triune God created, but it shows that the Son created. You can go back to Colossians and um, in chapter uh, 1, which is a great deity section. Of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses will take this and twist this out and, and then they'll use like in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And you know what they'll do with that? They'll say, oh, see, He was the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn, so therefore He was created. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, all they have to do is just keep, just read the text. Just read the whole section. What it's, He's talking about Christ here. This highly exalts Christ as being God. That firstborn is prototokos which means uh, of preeminence, uh, supremacy over all the creation. doesn't mean that He was born in time like a, a baby is born. Because uh, it, it says in verse 16, for by Him all things were created. Who's the Him? There's, that's Christ, isn't it? He created. And of course, you read on down and you see that that's... Nothing but he's the head of the body of the church. He's called um, God there. Anyway, um, those are just some verses that are always helpful to be able to to use. And of course, you can think of John one one. In the beginning was the word. Word was with God. Word was God. Of course, what did the Jehovah's Witnesses do with that? Well, they have to distort that one too. So, um, a little letter. Anyway. We'll go back to our Second Peter passage now. We have now finished verse 1. And we will move into verse 2. Um, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power... Let's stop there. We'll see if we can get through two today. <laughs> um, the key word here in this verse 2 would be what? What do you think it would be? Knowledge. knowledge. And you remember we said earlier that uh, last week we mentioned that knowledge is a very key word to Peter in this text, or in his whole uh, epistle. Um, knowledge is going to be very important. Christianity is based upon knowledge. Uh, it's not that we just come in blindly. You know, it's not a blind faith. It's built upon substance. And so uh, this idea of knowledge here is knowledge of God. You think of God the Father here and of Jesus our Lord. That's how the text would read. The word is epignosis. This is... Uh... Gnosis is how we get our word in the English no, and epi just really magnifies it and takes it up to a full, rich, and we'll go further than that, an intimate knowledge. So it's not just knowing about, but it's knowing God intimately. Intimate knowledge, a personal, complete knowledge. Not some kind of a mind science or religious science. The, what is that? The, what is that science reading room? Do they still have that around anymore? You used to have it downtown, huh? What? Christian science. Christian science. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we could say 
gnosis would be kind of a basic information, a basic knowledge. Sometimes that can be used interchangeably. It depends on the text that it's with and what, what's being said there. But a lot of times when you run into this, it's the knowledge of the person of, of Christ, uh, God. It's two persons here. Um, you can think of God the Father and Jesus Christ. They had an intimate knowledge. They have an intimate knowledge with each other, don't they? They really know each other completely, perfectly. Um, so, that he's saying grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowing Him intimately. That's the substance of our salvation. This, who's, what's the source of our salvation? Well, Savior Jesus Christ, right? The substance is that we would know God, that we would know Jesus, that we would uh, know the truth about who He is. How can you not know about who God is? You have to, right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God or the Word of Christ. We know the truth, and even more importantly, the truth is the person. So we know the person. So it's not just mind science, knowing things about Him, but it's actually having that relationship with Him. Revealed, He revealed the truth to us. Jesus is the truth, isn't He? And He came to us and revealed Himself to us. Revealed Himself to us. Um, look in Second Peter 3.18. This might sound familiar. I know it will. Last verse in the epistle. But grow in the grace and what? knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, knowing that person, the substance of our salvation, it's not some kind of a mystical thing, is it? Not some kind of cloud going over where you just try to dumb yourself down uh, where you just or just open up your mind to let anything and everything fly through. Uh, there's no place in Christianity for a passive mind. God has given us one of the greatest gifts that mankind can think of, and that's a mind. And then having the mind of Christ to be able to understand the things of God. Wow. So, knowledge is very important. Uh, no place for mysticism. No place for just imagination. Well, here's what I think God is. Have you had those? God to me is this. Oh, that that I get really leery when to me it means this. What does God say? Right? Uh, it's not some kind of visualization, new age, some kind of techniques, all that kind of stuff. So if if you kind of take a backward look at verse 2. Backward, I mean, start with the word knowledge and then go back to grace and, and peace. In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, grace and peace be multiplied to us. As you have knowledge of God, knowing Him intimately, you know what happens? Grace multiplies have you guys experienced grace by knowing God? You know what I mean? This is not easy. It's not hard either though, is it? Peace 
grace and peace. Grace, that's that word charis. Free, unmerited favor, full forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And peace is a result of that grace. It just flows out of the grace. It's the effect of grace. How often do you see grace and peace? Paul will have those together. Peter has it here together. It's a state of blessing that just flows out of that forgiveness that Christ has given us. That kind of peace. Be multiplied. Peter desires that it... Not just a little bit of grace. Some grace. Some peace. Or quite a bit of grace. Or a lot of grace. He says, multiplied. And we're talking about an ever-increasing, growing, greater abundance... Grace and peace just keeps getting multiplied, multiplied in an endless, eternal way. And so knowing that truth, knowing Him intimately, and this knowledge of this truth, we're growing through His Word. That's that's how we do it. We get the knowledge through the very Word of God. So one of the first things we have to understand is our salvation. And when you understand where salvation came from, what it's about, how important it is in your life, then it will be the very foundation you can draw upon whenever false teaching comes in. And uh, false teaching invariably is going to focus on yourself. It's going to focus on you have to keep yourself doing this. It's going to be about what you can do. It's a a works-based type thing. So if we're going to stand against false teaching, all that stuff that's just flying around, we have to know the source of our salvation, that's God, the substance of our salvation, and it's this knowledge, this knowledge of the truth of of Jesus Christ. Hey, there's part two. God gives knowledge. What was the first one? Was it faith? We talked about that in verse one. Two of them that we've now kind of looked at and um, you know what I think we're moving into verse 3 hold on whoa (laughs) this is a fast ride tonight here seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. There's verse 3. Notice he says knowledge again. The true knowledge. You notice that at that time, of course when the Gnostics, that kind of belief was getting ready to come in or was knocking at the door, it it was right there at that time, real close to it. It was about... And, of course, the mystical religions. It was all about mysteries, knowledge, gnosis. The Gnostics, right? They get that word from gnosis. And so they talked about knowledge. Mind sciences. And Peter's saying there's a true Knowledge. So he's banging right. He's using the terminology that they would be using. And he's using epignosis here. So God gives us faith. Wow. God gives us 
knowledge to know Him intimately. God gives us power. It's the power that is what gives us everything else. Um, Can you think of that one verse? For of His fullness we have all received. Of His fullness? When we received Christ, we didn't get a half of Christ. We got Christ fully. We don't have um, a little bit of Christ. Some, pretty well most, we have all of Christ. That's that's an amazing thing. We didn't, you know, when you were born, you had everything you needed there. Now there needed to be growth and such, and that that has happened. But you had every. I think everybody here has had pretty well had all their parts, right? Occasionally, you know, something can be different there, but um, you didn't you didn't need anything else. It was all there. Just needed to grow. Oh. Yeah, right. And so it is with Christ, as you know, we desire to Him to be more full in our life. What does John ten ten say? I come that you might have life. And have a little bit of it. Have quite a bit of it. Had a lot of it. What did he say? I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's a super word. That's that's exceeding. Be careful, you guys sitting on the front row. I start doing that Gerstner stuff, <laughs> accenting words. <laughs> I said Gerstner because Carol was talking about she heard Gerstner on the radio today. And he's fun to listen to. I I know the Heflin's back there. You guys have heard him. Not too many people have probably heard him, but uh, if you ever get an opportunity, <laughs> he's he's pretty close. Sproul is kind of close to him. I think Sproul, you know, he was taught by. Gerstner. I think he learned how to speak from him. <laughs> he definitely accents, doesn't he? So anyway, just never know what's going to come out here. <laughs> In, turn to Romans 8.17. Ooh. You want to be blessed? Just think of this thought. Romans 8 is enough, isn't it? Just the first verse is good enough. If you didn't have anything else, it'd be great to go on. But as he develops that chapter, and it just keeps getting better and better, it just keeps just exploding. The wonderful benefits we have. And we get to Romans eight seventeen. And he says we're children of God in verse sixteen. Oh, by the way, sixteen. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If you if you say, hey, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know? The Spirit of God tells me. And the Word of God here agrees with that, that the Spirit of Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And it's not a burning in the bosom, as the Mormons say, right? And if children, what? We're not just children, but what? We're heirs. We're, we're adopted. We're heirs, heirs of God, and, and this gets better, and fellow heirs with Christ. If And to show that we are Christians, here's some of the things that will happen. If indeed we suffer with Him, 
so that we may all see glorified with Him. It's the suffering here and then glorification later. But heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. Everything that He gets is ours. And I know I have to be careful with that because it almost sounds like the... uh, the positive teaching that you get out there and, and you can go and get into some really bad theology because the next step is, well, we're little gods. Now we're really into danger because we're not little gods. We are children of God. We are heirs. Um, Christ is, is like a, a brother to us and such. But uh, at the same time, we cannot diminish this fact of... Uh, the position that we've been given. Let's let's take a few more of these. Just to show that we're just not taking one verse and building a whole theology on it. You can start to feel pretty good after all this. A lot of times, you know, we're beating our heads, you know, over the, the issue of sin. But God always has a balance in everything, doesn't he? Yes he did. He got that in. Yeah. You noticed I skipped over that pretty quick. <laughs> We know about that, right? Well, you have to be reminded of it quite frequently. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. I think this is rather remarkable. So then, let no one boast in men. Don't be putting yourself into worldly wisdom, okay? For all things belong to you. And then he goes on to show, here's some of the gifts that God gave. He gave some great teachers. Paul or Apollos. Remember, this is the Corinthians and they were arguing over who the greatest was or who they followed, right? The the Corinthians, that low-life church. Uh, But they were high life. Look look what he said. All things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's our man Peter, or the world or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. And he says it again. All things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. And so when you see yourself in Christ, and you're heirs with Christ, and you've been put in the proper position, you see that everything that He has is given to us. Even though, and I wouldn't suggest, you know, going to your neighbor over there and just start walking into their house and saying, this is my house. Because, you know, we know that uh, there are certain rules applied, but realizing in, in this world, you know, eventually look where it's all headed. You know? And these things are going to burn up anyway. Look at the eternal things, but it's kind of nice to know he lets us use his world. Matter of fact, to some degree, we have some dominion over it, don't it? Like, like uh, maybe it was for the sin of Adam and Eve, but yet there's still some control that we have. But all things belong to you. Pretty incredible. Uh, his divine power has a lot to do with that. So we have to go to a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians one. Every time I think of this one, I think of Eldon because I think this is probably one of your greatest uh, passages that you have focused on so many years, right? 
think you said that. And boy, I tell you what, you you look at it and you go, boy, this is a good one to hang on to, guys. <laughs> and this, you know, you can't think of anything else to pray. This is a prayer. Um, we could start in verse 19, but I want to start in verse 15. We'll work ourselves there. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Now that's the verse 19 that I wanted to focus on. But let's keep going. Which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Is that supreme? Yeah, go ahead. We were listening to R.C. Jr. last night, and I really got some insight into that that prayer. Because what we're asking for is wisdom and revelation of the knowledge and their eyes may be enlightened, we may know. And he was teaching from James chapter 1, and he read verse 5 and says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that's what you're doing in that Ephesians prayer. You're asking for wisdom. And he said it's nothing else attached to that verse 5. Just ask and it will be given. And we put all sorts of conditions on it. Well, you got to do this too, you got to do that, and do something else. But he says, ask, and it will be given. He does it. That's it. He does it. And right after that, I think the first after in that James chapter, ask in faith without any doubting. But then he went also on to talk about that verse. Faith is a gift of God. If you're sincerely asking, He'll give you the faith. Believe that's not something for you to work up. That's the gift of God. We just can't get any credit for anything, can we? I am very glad. <laughs> he gets all the glory, doesn't he? Rather insightful. Can come in many ways. That's one of them, isn't it? But he does. 
certainly. this to something else that I said a couple of weeks ago in in Revelation. Uh, the white horse come through salvation. You got received salvation. Immediately following upon that is the next one, which is persecution, mm-hmm. and that's what you read in Second Peter again. Anyway, right after they received their salvation, then there was a suffering that followed after that. Mm -hmm. And that said, Verses in Revelation. Mm-hmm. They saved, followed by persecution of the world. That can explain. And ties together. Mm-hmm. Everything. God's Word. You can't take Second Peter version like you're doing it. It stands with all these other verses you're referencing. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. And the more that we learn about this word the more that we see that the more we tie it together we, we're just right on the we just started we just yeah how much is there Believe it or not, it is for our good and for His glory. We had a little discussion in Sunday school, but not a little discussion, it took a while. Uh, they were talking about government. And uh, I couldn't keep quiet anymore. I, I said something like the question was is, is government. No, they were reading the book that made the statement that this is a wrong statement saying that all governments are controlled by the evil one. He said, How many agree with that? Or disagree with that? I said, Well, I disagree. I don't want to run the whole church. Because I believe that from the different scriptures you read, there's only two kingdoms. And you're either in God's kingdom. And if you're not in his kingdom, then what kingdom are you in? You're in the world's kingdom. And the world's kingdom is controlled by the evil. So you're in one or the other. So if the government is not a godly government, then what is it? It must be an ungodly government controlled by the evil. I raised the example. They say, well, we've got a. Our government's not an ungodly evil controlled by the demon. 
world. That, well, uh, our House of Representatives, our Senate, our President, and the Supreme Court approved a bill that allowed for the, uh, the abortion of children that has, since it has gone into effect, killed millions of young babies. Now, is that of God's kingdom? Or is that of the evil kingdom? He got pretty quiet for a minute after that. <laughs> Nobody could dispute whose kingdom that was from. And that's all of our war, our civil government is controlled by that. Now, it may do some good things, but it's still controlled by the evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you think of okay, tie it tied in with the the kingdom of God, it is of the true power. It has the real ultimate power, the the only kind of power, ultimate. And of course, when we were reading that uh, that prayer, what strikes you there are words that just come out at you in verse nineteen. And these are power words. What is the surpassing, right, greatness of His power, and that's the dunamis word, our dynamite comes from there, toward us who believe. So you've seen surpassing greatness of His power. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Working. Strength. Might, surpassing, greatness, power. Those are power words. And that's just one verse. And you look at the next verse and you see what kind of power it is. It's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection power. That same power. That same power that resurrected Christ is the power that's in our lives. See, the most excellent thing there in those verses is wisdom and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought the would raise the dead too. But what I really need is wisdom and knowledge. Well, because, and it's because, how do we get that? It's from His power that He gives us. And I think that's what Peter is referring to. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that it's the wisdom uh, being able to use this knowledge of God intimately, this knowledge and and use it in our lives. Heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of His call. And if you had that absolutely knowledge in your heart, where nobody can shake you, then I hope you would do. Okay, and it starts at salvation. And who knows what else it can do. Uh, He called us out of death. We were dead, right? He called us out of death. Remember Lazarus? Now there's a picture of it. He called him out of death. He had been dead for three days. And, of course, uh, we know that we have eternal life. You know what? We can never... True Christians can never experience a power failure, the power of God working in us. It's His power. Um, or 
having the, the, the knowledge of who he is and what he's about. The problem is, though, is that sometimes we can kind of become unplugged. <laughs> you know, need to plug it back in and realize where uh, all of this is coming from. You know, a divine power of God that uh, is working in us. This this hope of our calling, this knowledge of Him, this all of this wisdom. And you think about it, and we as humans have uh, an amazing capacity to to think and to be able to respond to things. This brain that we have is incredible. This mind. How much, and I don't know about this, but what do they say that we use? How much percentage do we use of our brains? 10 to 15 percent. I've always heard 10 percent. <laughs> now that's apparent with some people. <laughs> but the problem is, um, I can tell you right now, I use a very minute portion of, of this brain. I wished I used more of it. My my eye has not seen yet. My ears have not heard yet. My heart hasn't conceived all that there is, even for right now. If you look in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, boy, this brings us to focus. Another power type thought here. And God is able that's a working word. He's able to make all grace abound. Leap over. Not a little bit of it. Make all grace abound to you that always, always having all sufficiency in everything. That's, that's God. He's all sufficient. That's Christ. In everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. That is overwhelming. That just wasn't my thought. You just read it. It's in Scripture. <laughs> That's what God says. There's the this very source of our efficiency. Sufficiency. God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to do that. And He's all sufficient in everything. Why would we want to doubt sometimes? Why wouldn't we want to use that ticket that is being worn around our neck like the, the Indian? Look in 2 Corinthians 12.9 and we'll probably just stop with this tonight. This is a pretty good one to end on. We read uh, chapter 9 verse 8, right? In 2 Corinthians. And so twelve nine again, and he's writing to who? The Corinthians. Oh, they don't deserve any of this. Look what they did. Uh, and he has said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." And you, you've got to know this stuff. This this knowledge, this wisdom, you really have to know he said this. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, 
with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Boy, did, is that a wisdom passage there? And it was the power of God that is in Him that He's able to understand, to actually have knowledge or wisdom that you take things that sound like the very opposite. He's talking about weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, everything that comes in a what we think to be a negative way and what God is really doing there is He's making us learn contentment and the strength of that is much more incredible even though people don't see it. Man, if you said that to the world, they couldn't understand this because they don't have the wisdom or they don't have the mind of Christ. They can't think this way. This is what they run from. This is what we try to run from. We try to run from these things and not that we should try to get them because they will come anyway. <laughs> we, don't, we don't desire these, but at the same time, we, we, when we see that, hey, the power of Christ is dwelling in us, when we're going through these. That is incredible wisdom. Right. The worldly wise man thinks about being strong. He's the one that gives the insults. He's never one who's in distress. And he's the one that persecutes. He doesn't have difficulties. Everything goes right for him. (laughs) When we're weak, he is strong. So, a few power verses there. That idea of everything. And we'll end on this. I'm I'm sorry, I said we were going to end on the 2 Corinthians. But it's it's a real quick one. It's out of Psalm 84.11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold. Nothing's missing. Nothing is missing. It's all there. Everything. Everything. Is that overwhelming? Well, we'll pick it up in uh, verse 3 next week and we'll be talking about life and godliness and pertaining to those. Go right ahead.